Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So I, I read from Acts chapter 14 and 17. Uh, why, why did I read from there? Well, we share something in common with them. Uh, back then, it was a very non-Christian culture. Um, and uh, they were definitely a minority. The same thing today. Christianity has become a minority, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, for example, you ask the typical young child what they know about the Bible in not very much these days. Children aren't being brought to church or to Sunday school, so they don't know the Bible all that well any, anymore. There is a difference, of course. Back then, uh, they were heading towards a, a Christian culture. Today, we're basically running away from such a culture. Uh, but there's something else here I want to mention to you. you know, Paul is doing mission work. He's doing mission work there in uh, what's now present-day Turkey and, and also Greece, Athens. It was a specific town in Acts 17. Um, he's uh, doing mission work among the Jews, always goes to the Jews first, but mostly among the Gentiles, the the, the pagans, the heathens, the, the polytheists. And the interesting thing is Paul does not come to them and say to these heathens, these non-Jews, these Gentiles, he doesn't say to them, the book of Isaiah says. He doesn't say, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ and what I say is true. He doesn't start there. Rather, he begins with what we might call more fundamental truths. Things that can be understood without the Bible, without special revelation, that can be known and are somewhat obvious from God's created order uh, that we can put our mind to, we can observe, we can use our senses, we can use our reason, we can use our, our conscience. And they tell us certain basic fundamental truths that people can agree to even if they don't believe the Bible. It's a... Uh, very similar to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 about natural knowledge of God and about the conscience that all people have, telling them right from wrong, even if right from wrong can be somewhat obscured these days in the mind and conscience of people. Uh, it's also similar to what the, the psalmist says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. I just thought of this recently. It, you know, we, we, um, we might do... Uh, our neighbor uh, a real benefit if we get him out of the city, take him out to the country at night so he can see the stars because they do declare the glory of God. It might be a very good method of what we might call pre-evangelism. In Acts chapter 14, we have this kind of crazy scene and uh, Paul has to tell these people, no, we're not gods, we're, we're people like you are. And we've come here to tell you good news and turn you from the worthless things you're worshiping, uh, which are not gods. There's only one living God. He is the maker of all things. And he's even given you witness or evidence that he is good and that he is the one almighty God. He's giving you rain. He's giving you fruitful seasons. He's, he's giving you food. He's giving you joy in the heart. So these things he's saying testify to the reality of not many gods, but, but one God. 
In Acts 17, he does something similar. He says, hey, you people are, you're religious. I see your gods, um, but there's one you don't know, and he is the one who is the maker of all things. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in shrines made by human hands. He isn't made, or the divinity is not found in silver or gold or stone or something that people have created in their own minds. He is the one who gives life and breath to everyone. So he's just trying to explain some of the basic things that can be known about God just by observing the heavens, the sky, looking at our conscience, telling us right from wrong, and observing other things too, which teach us there is beauty and there is order in this world. So the message to them, before he ever gets to Jesus Christ, the message is that there's not only one almighty God, but this God is a good God. Look at what he provides for you. And this is uh, something that God does for, as Jesus says, for the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So God is good. He provides. By the way, this is one of the reasons why we here as a nation can have a national holiday like Thanksgiving because most people recognize that, hey, we have many, many blessings and most people are willing to recognize that it comes from some sort of divinity, at least indirectly. And so we can have a, a national holiday like Thanksgiving. Um, they know there's a divine being out there even if they can't know exactly and they don't know exactly who he is. And that's, of course, what Paul was going to explain to them. But there's another uh, very interesting point being made here by Paul in Acts chapter 17. God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. So that's, that's a very interesting and kind of a striking comment. You know, so th think of a timeline, a very long timeline. You have a beginning and you have an end. But it's not only a long timeline, but it's a wide timeline, very wide. And so what Paul is saying here is God has determined where certain peoples and nationalities and, and individuals, where they will live on that wide part of the timeline, but also when they will live. So he wants the people to know that this is the God that is the true God that they are to worship and find out about so that they might eventually know the very important details about this God, namely that he is the one who not only provides for them, but the one who has sent his son for them. Another way to put this is that this God who is, is good, who is all-powerful, wise, and merciful, knows exactly what he's doing. He does not make mistakes. He doesn't make a mistake regarding you. There's no mistake regarding where you are right now. You are here and now according to God's design, God's plan. And, and this is a great comfort, but it's also kind of scary at the same time. You are here and now. And while you are here and now, he gives you these 
along with unbelievers, he gives you these unmeasurable blessings. You can't count them. As we say in the uh, first article explanation, which we'll say in a little bit in a prayer, that he gives these to us purely out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy. And again, this is why, one of the reasons why we, we celebrate Thanksgiving, because of all these beautiful temporal blessings we have. But at the same time, along with these good blessings here and now, where he places you, there also come some great difficulties. Now, all you have to do is, is look over in Israel these days and Gaza, and all you have to do is uh, look at the history of the world. All you have to do is, is look at your own individual lives or the lives of your neighbors, and you find great difficulties and very often uh, horrible things. And the question is, do God's hands also give us these horrible and difficult things? In one sense, yes. Otherwise, he would not be God. Now, we say that the ultimate cause of evil and sin and all these horrible things is Satan and our sinful nature. But God must remain God, overseeing all things. And the interesting thing is how thankfulness plays into these difficult and horrible things. Jesus said in Matthew 5, previous to our text, he said, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. You know, St. Paul said this over and over again in his, his epistles. For example, in uh, Philippians chapter 4, he says, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. He says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, so obviously we are to give thanks and rejoice in the good things God gives us. But the bad things too? Yes. Yes. Why? Well, because one of the reasons is that God has attached all these beautiful promises to the bad things that happen in our lives. You know, we know the verse from Romans chapter 8, right? All things work together for good for those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. And we also have other verses like this one from James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So yes, even for the bad and horrible things, we are to give thanks. But, in order to be thankful for all things, good or bad, to rejoice in them, it is important to know not only what I am to be thankful for, the good and the bad, 
but also to know whose hands are delivering those good and bad things to me. To know that person, who it is, who's handing these things to me in my life, good and bad. And that makes a huge difference if we know who that person is. So as a Christian, I'm to be thankful for the wonderful abundance of food that I've had, but also I'm to be thankful for if I ever hunger. I'm to be thankful for my money and my belongings, but also if poverty comes to me. I'm to be thankful for my health, but also if cancer comes to me, thankful for that. I'm to be thankful for my family, but also if it falls apart or if loved ones get killed, thankful there as well. I'm to be thankful if I'm respected by people, if I have a good reputation, but I'm also to be thankful if I'm hated, persecuted, put in jail, and all alone. And here's why. The hands that give you whatever you have, that place you wherever you are, the hands that determine when you live and when you die. The hands that give you food. But also the hands that bring you suffering, pain, loss, and evil. Are the hands that were nailed to the cross. And when I know that the hands that are serving me, the good or the bad, are the same hands that were nailed to the cross, then it's much easier to be thankful. Because those hands that were nailed to the cross are the hands that proclaim an unconditional love. Those hands display the most infinite love. They give me riches that are eternal. They bring me forgiveness freely. They assure me that any suffering in this life, no matter how great it is, does not begin to compare with the glory that will be revealed in me. So this also is a part of the Christian's thanksgiving. And if you think about it, nobody can be thankful like a Christian because we know where the hands of Christ have been. Christ died. He was crucified. There's no doubt 
according to the historical records, that he was dead by crucifixion. This one who claimed to be the Son of God, who proved he was the Son of God by his miracles, not just one or two, but dozens and dozens of miracles. So why in the world would this, would this Son of God, who had become a human being, why would he go to the cross and get himself killed? And then on the third day, there are reports of him being alive again. The one who was clearly dead. Again, proof. And the resurrection is the ultimate proof seen by over 515 witnesses. Proof that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God in human flesh. But then we still have to ask the question, why in the world did he allow himself to be crucified and killed? It's because rebellion against God and sin against God is a reality for every one of us. He died because sin is extremely serious, so serious that it took the Son of God himself to pay for the sins. And that cross says he did pay for the sins of the world. Your sins are forgiven. And we are called upon to repent and believe. And when we do, we know ultimately what we are thankful for. Today, tomorrow, and always. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forevermore. Amen. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.